Ant-Man and the Wasp, Voltron, Legendary Defender, and Keep Talking and Nobody Explodes. This is Staying In. Uh, lads, lads, we almost, almost won the World Cup. We did. We we took on the role of England and played it to perfection, it seems. We managed to perfectly actually recreate what happened in Russia 2018, Ru- of course, yeah. Russia 2018, which of course, Pete, you watched from opening ceremony to... To finishing ceremony. Didn't miss a minute. <laughs> had to <laughs> kick him out. To the finishing ceremony. <laughs> when, yeah... Britney opened, of course. Britney. With her pop routines. One of one of Britney's five songs. Yeah, one of Britney's five songs. Um, what happened in the World Cup? Well, did, we England, did, we, did England get to the semi-finals? Yeah, they did. Yeah, and they got beaten. For real. So basically, what For happened last night yeah. happened in the World Cup. Pretty much. Some very disappointing goals that were sort of fudged <laughs> in by our opponents. <laughs> Penalties where goalkeepers just sort of stood there and watched the ball go in. Yeah, pretty much. But we were playing on semi-pro to like <laughs> balance out yeah. difficulties. You may not notice, but any time like the, the other team did something terrible, me and Sam kind of whispered to each other, it's semi-pro. This, yeah. is, this uh, is a little reminder. Right, right. It's, I uh, mean, it's been... I, I was thinking about this last night. Uh, about six years since we last won the World Cup. And we did actually win it then. And we did actually win it then. Mm. But that was a much superior game. That was South uh, Africa. FIFA World Cup 2010, South Africa. Enjoy it? Yeah. Yeah, I actually I really tired. did. I actually really did. Yeah, can we just address the elephant in the room? room that, that Peter Willington is the most tired <laughs> man this morning. Boy. And he is the most miserable man at the <laughs> moment. Awful. If you, listen, if you want to picture like a sloth. Yeah. yeah. Go on. A sloth crossed with Ebenezer Scrooge. <laughs> a tired sloth. sloth. A sloth, but he's got a podcast to record. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Slothcast. <laughs> Today... Not much. <laughs> Today I crossed the room. Wow! I just didn't get my fourteen hours. That's all. <laughs> I know because um, uh, yesterday we climbed Scarfell Pike. Wee wee. That's what we do when we get together at a weekend. We walk up hills, and on the way back, you were like, "Oh, I'm really looking forward to uh, just going to sleep." To be honest, lads. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We get together like twice a year. Yeah, that's thought. Get yeah, about he, eight. He just wants. We. No. I think we figured out that when Pete mm. comes to see us, he just treats it as a vacation from his normal, normal life. life yeah. So he just wants to go to bed early. Yeah. It's, that's that's mm. not right. Oh, it is though, because I get to go to the wonderful land of Nod. Look at my. Look oh, at thanks. My, my face. Right Do you have there. any kind of pre-sleep rituals or anything that helps? Because you, you have go a. Po- we know we have a post-sleep ritual, which we're all very familiar with. Oh yeah, post-sleep ritual. Get up. Yeah. And then one of three things occur. <laughs> Not necessarily, <laughs> the order. necessarily on this order. Okay. Drop the kids off at the pool. Okay. Shower. Yes. Breakfast slash yes. cup of tea. Brilliant. It used to be that th- this this is a much healthier routine than I used to have. Or what was it? What was it used to be? It was it was it get up, Sarah Lee Gatto. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was like it was like you know, uh, yeah, just sort of awful food slash I don't know, smoke cigarettes and drink coffee. And that was about it. But now I have, like, you know, malted Wheaties or <laughs> a cup of tea. See, unfortunately, Pete hasn't had his shower this morning. No, so no. I've never seen a more miserable man in my life. It's essential. So, so I've got to have a shower. What happens is it literally, is it like a light bulb moment? As soon as you get in the water, that first drop of water hits your head, suddenly you're awake? Or is it just, yeah. did you just get away or with just standing in bell that curve? It's a Wellington <laughs> bell curve of, of awakeness. No, it is, it really is that though. Yeah, like I really do feel like when I when I have a sh- if I don't have those things, could you not just wash your face no. to kind of get you like it's part of the way there? No, it's not the same. That's why I hate camping because like there's no like decent working showers and stuff like that. In well, there are in some campsites. Like, yeah, but you got to just get naked in front of loads of dudes, and it's like mm, I'm not even no. There. I mean, when was the last time you went camping? Yeah, about ten <laughs> yeah. years ago. Yeah, yeah, that's, exactly, that's, that's yeah. prison. Oh, yeah, laws <laughs> have changed since well, then. Yeah, we had some pretty like low budget holidays when I was a child. <laughs> <laughs> Another bleak chapter yeah. from the Annals uh, of Wellington. Is. So Scarfell Pike was fun. We um, got lost on the way up, of course. Mm-hmm. Or we got lost on the way down. Of course. Of course. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't quite as bad as uh, when we climbed Snowdon and getting lost meant walking six miles in the wrong direction. In the rain. In the rain. 
which I have apologised for. Can I just say? Yeah, no, 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 we've accepted your apology, and I drove it, sir. Yeah, but but if if we're serious about climbing Ben Nevis, like we can't do this again. We can't get lost on the way down again, or up. Well, getting lost on the way up, we didn't know we were lost really until we were going down the well-preserved National Trust designated. Mm pathway did we realize oh this is actually quite an easy maybe we shouldn't have climbed over all that scree <laughs> and in the middle of those rocks while they clambered were, yeah while they were tumbling down us my happens. suspicions were first aroused that we had actually gone the most popular route was when we were walking down said route a new route that we'd not trodden which we should have trodden and i just saw a seven-year-old child on our way <laughs> yeah. up thought, yeah we definitely went yeah off we, we went on the hard way well uh, yeah and and dogs as well all the dogs i mean could have just followed the dogs. Yeah. But also the visibility was incredibly poor. Yeah. Like we There was no views. We had this beautiful kind of vista. We were parked next to this lake. So we had that very clear landmark there that we couldn't possibly get lost. We could orientate ourselves by. And then it just disappeared. We just turned around and it was gone. Yeah, we got to a certain point and it was literally all you could see was Chris's arse and Pete's face. and um, Pete's Couldn't tell them apart. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, you, got very, you got a very nice arse. <laughs> Got a very pert face. <laughs> so, um, and that's why it was very handy. Like, I brought an OS map, but stupidly, I hadn't got a compass, which is where Pete came in. Because Pete, mm, yeah. Pete, like many, many things, you are the compass of the group. Yeah. Sure. Moral, Steering the direction. Thought. That's a terrifying thought. Going in every direction. Always pointing one way. Oh, right. I don't know how it so, and then, <laughs> regardless, regardless of what's going on. But there was a lot of pressure because people would come to us saying, do you know where the top is? Like, no one knew where the top was. So we would just say, okay, we're just going to go in this direction. And then we thought, okay. Yeah, we weren't, we weren't the only ones oh who my got God. lost. Have we, have we, hang on, can someone check now whether there's like been missing people on? Because we, <laughs> we, we passed a group of people who were all wearing red bobble hats. Didn't see them again. <laughs> they would have stood out. We missed. We we passed one guy, a Geordie, and a Scottish guy, and we never saw them again. Well, we, no, we we saw one of them when we one just, of them when we approached the. One yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> we saw one of them when we approached that rescue point. Oh yeah, we yeah. saw him around there. We didn't see him after that. We didn't see I, him after the rescue I, point. I think I think that's another thing where we should have gone. Hang on, when we <laughs> when we bumped into the place where you go, where literally there's nowhere else which is safe on a mountain to go, which is which was the designated rescue point, which is literally, and this is crazy, like it literally was a box you get into with mm. a couple of slats, yeah. like it looked like the, what they used to punish the soldiers with on the bridge on the River Kwai. Yeah. It's probably like a switch in there and a Netflix account. In, in our, in our, in our naivety, yeah. we looked at that, and went, "Oh, this is good. At least, yeah. at least we're safe now. Yeah, we're safe now." <laughs> But we were making our ascent and people started following us. We thought, oh my gosh, if this is the wrong way. We've led all these people up here. And it was the wrong way. Yeah. It's, it's a lesson for life. It's just lead with confidence. Well, as long as you look like you know what you're doing, people will follow you. There we go. The wise one has spoken. Mm. I've just searched for missing people on Scarfire Park and we're good lads. Okay. Yeah, right. yeah. But Dan, you trapped the route and that showed us later how far off course we'd gone. Yeah, so I... Cause I Having done Snowdon a couple of years ago and realising we came down the wrong side of the mountain. Once again, I yep. um, I'd, So on the way up, I kind of I got an app on my phone which kind of tracked our tracked where we were going. Yep. So it enabled us to see kind of theoretically then Are make we sure going? we went back the right way. And so again, we, that we, was very helpful. Which helped us. when we were going in the wrong direction. We at least knew we were going in the wrong direction. Mm. But now I've got the, the map looking at the entire kind of loop and we can see quite a big deviation yes. we can see exactly where we left well that the path. fact that it wasn't meant to be a loop it was a linear path up yeah. and down we made it <laughs> yeah. into a, we made it, it into a we world. somehow made it into a loop we should we should submit it to the national with, trust with a little annex this is uh, just getting lost this is what i'm thinking we should name this route the staying no uh we will call it the willington expressway mm. Mm. <laughs> no i'm 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 not happy with that <laughs> there's nothing express about what we did no it's it's all right. Well, we'll the we'll, Wellington Promenade. The, I don't know. The, one bad Turner. I mean, I mean no. that's a really good one. I mean, yeah. the the highlight of the of the journey for me get lost with frost. <laughs> yeah, that works. Uh, the highlight of the uh, climb for me was before we'd left the track was the point where you have to cross kind of like a babbling brook. Hmm. Um, um, brook's a little bit of an understatement, Dan. Well, it was babbling it, quite a lot. It yeah, was a it's river. Not quite. It's not. I wouldn't say it's a river. <laughs> it was a river, Dan. I would say it, I would say it's smaller than a river. It was a river, bigger than a brook. It was a river. It was a river. It's very small. There's river. A it was a, hu- no, it was a, a huge river. river. <laughs> it was about it was about six, it was almost about ten meters across and rushing. 
It was just going downhill, which with boulders and stuff in it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I managed to get across okay. Oh yeah, so did I. Yeah. Did you? How about you, Chris? Oh fine. I, I mean, gazelle like, I danced <laughs> over it. <laughs> he, Chris <laughs> leaped with a single bound. Pete. I was more cautious. You were more yeah, cautious. more pensive, yeah. I guess. And you're here today. Yeah, to exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So who knows how it would have you ended can try up? Try and get from A to B as fast as you like, but if you but. die on the way there, <laughs> <laughs> it's a marathon, not a sprint. Oh Christ! So, um, so what happened? What was your tactic? How did you cross the uh, babbling brook? Because you, well, you just you, kept going further right. Because basically, what I wanted to do is, I thought, well, <laughs> go yeah, back to the spring. I thought, look, if I go across here, it's quite a, quite a wide amount of you know. There, there are areas here with more water than rock because yeah, it was because it was so fierce. Yeah, it was like you either get your feet wet, yes, or you have to try and dance across yeah. the rocks. And when you're just starting out of a walk, the last thing you want to have is like yeah, exceedingly wet feet. Which is why I, I I chose my footing quite carefully. Yeah, yeah. So I, I was very careful about not getting kind of my feet particularly wet. So yeah. So, so basically, just, the three of us were on one side, right. absolutely, and we turn round. And we see our compass. Yeah, yeah, on the other side. <laughs> um, yeah, I th- and I thought, well, I'm just going to keep going up higher and higher and higher. And Which we had to keep going up higher and higher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I thought, just keep going. And then I, I just didn't really get any less <laughs> treacherous. The, the ratio of babbling. water to rocks did not get lower. So, so I just thought, well, you know what? I'm just going to Voltron esque. Yeah. First, so his thought <laughs> was about his first thought was, well, I don't want to get my shoes wet. Yeah. So the first thing that happened, yeah. shoes and socks come off. Yeah. Easy. So I take my shoes and socks off, and um, I think, okay, right. So I'm in my hands, and I get onto the next part of the rocks, and I just think, well, I'm just going to roll up my trousers. It's going to be fine. And then um, I sort of start wading along, and then uh, again, it's to your like middle of your shin. Oh yeah, exactly. Wait. Yeah, but it was moving at quite a pace. Yeah. I, I mean, if he if he got taken by that water, you would have been killed. Taken. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh. And then um. I handed my shoes across to you. You did. You, very, I was. I was fairly convinced I was going to drop them. The iconic we photo. Of, we got the iconic photo of the day, didn't yeah. we? From that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll we'll post that. Of course, we'll post spread that everywhere. Brilliance. My my favourite bit of it though is like Peter. Totally understand your rationale. Yeah. Makes sense. It's you don't want to get wet feet. Yeah, exactly. It's fine. Yeah. A wit. Chris Darby <laughs> goes. Dan does a, sempl- does a sensible thing, operates in dad mode, let's mm. just get him across safety, you yeah. know, d- just do the sensible thing. Mm. <laughs> Chris, <laughs> let's get a boulder! I'm going to get a boulder, and we're going to put it in the middle for him to stand on. Yeah, I, I, I was reaching across the pit, and I turned around, and, this, and Chris, Chris just rolling his rolling boulder, a boulder <laughs> into this into this torrent of water. <laughs> Like, to, to, and like, I don't know what, what was your idea? Were we going to throw it? Roll it and, in. Uh, roll it in. Um, but you can only roll it in as far as, like. Well, he'd have to leap for it. I'm not going to build him a lovely is, path. <laughs> this is the Flintstones Because that'd be a problem solving, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? Because boulders. I was planning to dam the <laughs> babbling brook. It was just, oh my God. Which, to be fair, when we got back over across and we're, we're, all, we're all safe, even though as I held along my carefully picked route to stop my feet from getting wet was flawed by oh yeah pulling you... me so my feet were submerged well, oh yeah your feet got wet but, yeah uh, but I, right. as we were all over there works. i heard chris kind of go did you see that boulder <laughs> <laughs> yeah i carried that all the way there look how tough i am so along with you reaching across the That's divide fine. with we'll, yeah. we'll show a picture of chris's ass as he tries to <laughs> haul although actually ineffectually lift a boulder from across the side Which, into the water and you can decide for yourself whether it resembles Pete's face okay the, oh, oh you're the ass yeah <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was a it was a fantastic trip and we did uh, complete our task that we set ourselves was it last I'm not what sure was it was the last episode of the episode before where we we, we took a um, christening card oh, to the top of the mountain oh cry but um, it wasn't a christening card the christening card that says you did it <laughs> Um, that we established was <laughs> as far away from a christening card as you could possibly get. Oh, I'd forgotten about this. But works perfectly as a congratulations, you've just accomplished a physical yeah. achievement like climbing a mountain. Mm. So we got to the top. Fortunately, Chris had tricked us into thinking he hadn't brought the card. Yeah, so then, so then I had to write it on top of Scarf Alpike where my hands would not work. <laughs> So it's kind of like the scratchy scrawl of congratulations, one achievement from everyone at the Staying In Podcast mm-hmm. uh, at Staying In Pod. 
Keep it on Keep brand. On brand hashtag. Hopefully, maybe yeah. they'll get. Oh, is that an at sign? It was meant to be an at sign. <laughs> yeah, but I what, thought he was signing it. But when you but when you open up the card, what it really looks like is congratulations. What to me, about that? I don't know why I'm Italian. Yeah. <laughs> it looked like a seismograph reading. <laughs> Um, so yeah, and then and then we ate lunch, which was lovely, and then oh, yes, and yes. then <laughs> Pete. We, we, yeah, we assigned the we role. assigned Pete yeah. to be ambassador, mm. as we did. He's the compass. <laughs> yes, um, we're very foolish and a lovely family. Uh, and didn't you say they were so excited about it? Like, no, no, we'll wait till the bottom. Yeah, yeah, yeah as, as, as we so walked nice. away, I heard kind of the kids because we we gave it to a guy and I think he's three kids. Mm. Um, and as we kind of we chatted with them, we we got a pitch and we kind of shook shook his hand and stuff like that. And as we walked away, I heard the kind of dad saying to the kids, "All right, all right, we'll just we'll open it when we get to the bottom." Like, oh, I bet they th- I bet they think it's got book vouchers yeah, on it or yeah, something. Yeah. <laughs> it should have had book vouchers. <laughs> 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 Next, next yeah. time we'll when we go at Ben Nevis, we'll put like a fiver's worth of book vouchers in it. Get yourself something. Because nice. that is the next plan. The next plan will be Ben Nevis, probably in about ten years' time, with a christening card. Yeah. yeah. So, Chris, Sam. you were you were over at, at mine before yes. Turner. these lot arrived. Yeah. And we played some games. What did we play? Um, played Memoir Forty Four. Yes, we did. Um, Battle of the Five Armies had a yeah. bit of our War Boys Day. Second, yeah. it's a second annual War Boys Day. Completely every August get together. Um, first one we played so War, War of the Ring. War of the Ring. Yeah. yeah, and this one we did a little double header, which is fun. And then we settled down in front of the TV, and you introduced me to Voltron, which I can only describe as a children's TV show. Mm-hmm. And I did get a text at this point saying, "Sorry, Dan, I'm not going to be able to pick you up. Lisa's coming. I'm watching Voltron." Yes. So why Voltron? Yeah. So I I know a little bit of the fact that you're there's seven series of this. Yeah. You've been watching it for how long? Oh, about five days. And you're on season three. Three. Jeez. Brilliant. So can you? I mean, this it's, is very off-brand. For you. I mean, it's good in a quality and um, style sense. Like, it's a it's a very good example of its genre. Yep, executed really, really well. But there's no escaping that you are watching children's TV. Like, yeah, I'm it's looking not- forward to us talking about Ant Man and the Wasp player. <laughs> <laughs> a big film for big boys. <laughs> yeah. That hard hitting Francois Truffaut style yeah, but, film. But what I mean is and I and I and I don't want to be derogatory because like I do watch children's TV on the occasion. But mm. unlike something like Disenchanted, the new Matt Groening thing, which we also watched the first episode was and it wasn't that stellar, it's kind of hit and miss. Like that is a children's show in inverted comment in inverted commas with stuff for older people in that they will get the jokes of you know a bit like a pixar thing like there is a broader spectrum of people to enjoy and it caters for everyone whereas voltron is very much this is catering for seven to eleven year olds Mm -hmm. on a saturday morning yeah Mm -hmm. i think for Mm -hmm. me it's like um i'm off work at the moment and it's an example of what you introduced me to pete as you always introduced me to more new words and terms because mm. you're more down with the kids than i am sure nice core nice core yeah mm, it's my it, favorite genre it's just nice yeah uh it's unassuming uh for those aren't aware what voltron is it's essentially another reboot remake of an 80s cartoon yeah essentially and there are lots of strange choices in its universe that i think are more homages to that older cartoon than what would be say done now where essentially it's basically cross between Power Rangers and Thunderbirds five different kids discover um, that they <laughs> I, I'm trying to rationalise this now um, they become basically pilots of these space lions okay, and cool. yeah. but they're robots right? yeah they're robots they're mechas yeah and yeah. they basically form together to create this singular entity called Voltron Mm-hmm. And um, unlike Power Rangers, where at the end of every episode they just combine and that'd be it, and it'd just be they waste loads of time fighting, as, and then they realise, hang on, 
Hold on a second. <laughs> if we combine this as one, one tactic we use every time. <laughs> because because like Netflix kept recommending it to me and I thought, well, it did that with Brooklyn Nine Nine and I would never have plumped for Brooklyn Nine. I thought, oh great, yeah, oh, wow, I can't believe that. So I thought, okay, maybe Voltron's similar. Maybe it is actually good. And I've heard like Mabimbam talk about it quite a bit. Yeah. Um so I thought, okay, I'll give it a I'll I'll give it a punt. I saw, okay, the episodes are twenty minutes long, apart from the first apart episode. Apart from the first episode, which, which is an hour and twenty minutes yeah. or so. Um, which kind of does all the world building. I was going to say you need to do all the world building for such an important sort of <laughs> but series. It's, it's, it's lighthearted. It's fun. <laughs> and it actually does some very interesting things with okay. the narrative. There's lots of like what? narrative arcs. Well, I don't want to spoil anything. Like there's lots of secrets and mysteries around certain characters that are still unresolved and you're working your way through them. Mm. And the mystery kind of deepens and it, it kind of builds this world. There's a, there's an example in the first episode where obviously they get all the lions together Gosh. and like all the lions have different even though they're the same like stylistically they've got different personalities. Yeah. So the the people who pilot them reflect their personality. So unlike Power Rangers where it's like you're the girl you're in pink. Sure. You're the smart guy you're in blue for brains you know um classic brain color (laughs) (laughs) this is like there's there's a bit more nuance to it and there's a thing that i and i think to give you an idea of what chris is alluding to Mm. they they there's like a big bad at the end of this 90 minutes or however long it is and it's just like well the only one to beat it is to form voltron and they kind of all look at each other and go well how do we form Voltron, like Voltron's been missing for ten thousand years or whatever it is, like, mm. and like, and it is, it is, it is actually quite funny. There's like one bit where a guy with a lion just runs into another one, shouting "Combine!" <laughs> and just knocks him <laughs> over and goes, "Nope, that didn't work." There's also another one where they, they build like a pyramid of the, the lions. They all balance on top of each other. So is it working? No. Okay, so, so I, I, so I think that's what Chris is alluding to by right. that. Like, it's interesting things because, unlike Power Rangers, where it's just like you, right. Zordon's just like, and you press this button, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you will defeat the enemy. And aye, 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 that one. And so, so there, I think there's that ambiguity behind what Voltron is, and this kind of there's a bit more like of like of a mythos around it. Mm. Completely. And they learn, they're learning, they don't get it straight away. Yeah. So they discover new things about their particular mechas all the time as they're going throughout it. And Mine it, one makes tea. It doesn't take itself too seriously either. It is actually quite funny. It's very, it's light-hearted. It's nice. It sounds like it's unassuming. It sort of plays with the format and rules of the genre quite a lot. Yeah, twenty-minute episodes. It's very light and breezy, mm. but genuinely, the finales of each series are just fantastic. The animation's brilliant. It's his dream work. The animation is good. Yeah, um, animation. Um, it's brilliant. Honestly, it's very <sighs> dynamic, very colourful. Perfect for me, who's off work currently. Mm. Who I do worry about you while you're off work because you do slip into these. You start playing War of the Ring on your own. Watching children's TV. Not at the same time, though. <laughs> and playing Star Realms. 12 games a day, you told oh me Oh my yesterday. gosh, honestly, I need to delete it from my phone. I'm addicted. <laughs> what do I do, Pete? How do you cope? I don't. <laughs> Pete, Pete, Pete just leans into the addiction. Yeah, oh. just lean in. <clears throat> oh my gosh. Enjoy. It was, but I think the main takeaway from all this is just enjoy what you enjoy, right? Yeah. Like, like it's one of those things of we, we constantly value... Um, we think that there's some sort of like inherent value in something that is more sophisticated. Whereas, you know, you're, you're sat there going, Oh, I love Vol-, like watching Voltron in your pants. And you're like, it's like, if that's what you enjoy, why, you, what why you do enjoy, both of you, it? Sam said I watch it in my pants. Well, wait. I'm assuming you do. <laughs> well, I was in bed the other day. My that's partner went off to work. My partner went off to work. I was just in bed. Um, and she just leans in off to go to work. She says, Oh, bye. And she just sees and just takes one yeah. look at my tablet with, yeah. you know, Space lions. Yeah, <laughs> we need to assemble Voltron. Where's the quintessence? So, <laughs> so okay. You, have pre- have a productive you? day. Yeah, yeah. You're 32. I'm off to work well, yeah, in finance. You work. You work hard when you are working, right? Like if that's then, what you enjoy. Yeah, yeah completely. I don't love the fact that same day. She's like, what else are you doing today? Oh, well, after I finish Vulture, I'm going to go and watch a, a, a film about a comic book character and uh, his his friend his friends. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I can't. I can't sugarcoat it any other way. <laughs> she she spent her trip to work, kind of questioning her life decisions. Mm. <laughs> Definitely, but that was fun as well. It's been a very productive. That's um, another fun few days. That's a fun, another nice core. 
bit. Well, Ant Man and the Wasp. Nice, Ant Man and the Wasp is a nice core Marvel film. So just to be super clear, I know this is no, nice core yeah. is 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 a genre in which is a genre in which people are inherently nice, and the value of being nice to solve problems is explored much more. It's not just a nice thing. No, no, no. I agree. And no, that's, that's yeah. Voltron so is Paddington that. is like yeah a nice call Voltron movie. is definitely that legendary defender is because he doesn't like but... kill people Voltron he like sits them down and like talks them through and, like, makes them well, all the bodies are robots pretty much that they cut in half and stuff yeah them. so once all the slicing and visceral damage has been done then they're really nice to each yeah. other it's like, basically like, Paddington then. spreading yeah. peace that's yeah. the whole <laughs> right. Voltron. so is that what happens in Ant-Man and the Wasp no right pretty much um, so this 20th yes 20th, 20th film Marvel yeah Film. Ten years. Ten um, I think everything's caveated with Ant Man as by saying that it is no coincidence that Ant Man films have been used to succeed both big of the last two big Avengers movies. Mm. So after Avengers: Age of Ultron, Ant Man came out, and after Avengers: Infinity War, Ant Man and the Wasp has come out. And I think um, basically both of them are palette cleansers. And I think Marvel are very very aware that Ant-Man is not their biggest property. There's it's, not a lot of substance to it's it. It's not the most popular a superhero, albeit the first Ant-Man is actually quite I uh, really enjoyable I really film. Like that film. Yeah. Um I think they're very much aware that and to make a football analogy, Ant-Man is a David Moyes of uh Avengers's um Avengers Sir Alex is. Ferguson. Yeah. Do you agree, Pete? Sure. Yeah. Good. I mean, I wouldn't agree with that. Well, he's I, kind of like he's kind of like the person you bring in. But the, he did. But he does. But David Moyes didn't do very well. He did. He did just as successful as Lou Van Gaal and the opening season of Jose Mourinho. <coughs> oh, fair enough. Yeah. Did they bring David Moyes in the same way they brought Ant Man into Marvel Civil War in the back of a van? Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah, I think that's how it goes down in history. Just dumped him off at Old yeah. Trafford and went, "This is yours now, David." Succeed the greatest manager who's ever worked in the Premier League and maybe the world. Bye. <laughs> Which is pretty much what Ant Man has a wasp has to do. Like, oh right, the film you're following just grows two billion dollars worldwide. Yeah, follow that. Challenge accepted. So because of that, it's it's set before the offence of Infinity War. Otherwise it would be very much of a downer film. <laughs> yeah. Um spoilers. So, and it's also a self-contained film. There's no other references, really, other than to the events of Civil War. There's no appearances from any of the characters in any of the Marvel franchises. And, um, you know, everything gets wrapped up within less than two hours. And it's just a jolly sort of... Caper. Caper, which happens. Which is what the first film was as well. Yeah. It was, that was very much a sense of kind of, this is a small story. Mm-hmm. And it and it centers around no pun intended. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> and it does center around the the story's very simple. It's a search for Janet Van Dyne in the quantum realm and that's and that's it. Like there that that's the scope of the film. And it's like, yeah, it's I think there's not really not much more to say about it. It's just a weird commodity, really. Because usually you come back from a Marvel film either being gr- really well delighted like with Doctor Strange, like that was a film that was great. Oh, that visual trick they did and like the story they went on, like the arc was great. Or Black Panther, which was just a massive surprise and a shock and like I did not expect that. But you come back from Ant-Man and Wasp kind of like every other film, like, oh, well, that was good. Yeah, yeah. I ticked that I, off the list. Yeah, now yeah. now I know where, where the MCU it's is a, now. It's a film that ticks yeah. all the boxes without doing anything new and exciting and different. But I think I think it's a perfect film just to, before Captain Marvel comes out, it's just like, sets everything up and just like calms the scene of what happened after Infinity War like it's but you don't have to it's actually one of those interesting Marvel films where you if you by not watching this you're not going to miss out say no. from the next films it's, it's just probably you, the only one that that yeah. exists entirely isolated by its own by its own making um which is also really interesting but i think the the other thing that sort of surrounds this movie is that um, is it Peyton? Peyton Pey- Reed. Peyton Reed. So he was brought in to replace Edgar Wright, who left eleven days or something before filming of the first Ant Man. And um, so this is this is kind of like it feels like his 
first Marvel movie in a way. I know there's kind of like a lot of sort of secrets and shadows about how much he actually changed the script, like Joe Cornish's script and stuff, like how much of that actually changed and how much of Edgar Wright's plotting and planning was actually changed. So it does still feel like his first film though. Like I feel like he is kind of just treading the water with some kind of things. It's not as playful as the first film. Like there, there are certain things, the whole final fight in the first Ant-Man film, I think is a glorious bit of choreography. And I think it's really playful and it plays with the form of Ant-Man. Like, that train, that fight on the train set. Have you seen it, Pete? No. There's a fight, there's a fight on a train set, which is just like wonderfully captures the juxtaposition between like how grandiose it is to them on the ground. But then when you zoom out of it, it's just two trains colliding and then just toppling yeah. over right, right, like little right. Thomas tank engine sets. And like it plays with that form really well. And Peyton tries to get a bit of that in, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel as, as genuine as much of like of a sharp idea as it did in, did in the first film. Well, in the first film, though, I I very much thought there was a a sense of kind of two films going against each other in terms of you yeah. could see the Edgar Wright stuff coming yeah, through. Yeah. Now they did a fantastic job in making it not feel disjointed because I yeah. don't think that first one did. But no. you could definitely say yes, that's an Edgar Wright bit. That's yeah. not. I said to Chris afterwards, like I wish they still made computer games of every film that ever came out, like every big big film, because to me, like. The idea of being able to shrink in size and exist between these two worlds is the most playful and, mm. and like unique part of what Ant Man is. Because essentially it's just a man in a suit. Like he Scott Lang has no abilities or anything really. He's just an ex con week of judo that he was taught in the first film. Yeah, exactly. Like he literally has no abilities other than he can wear a suit, which anyone can do. So how do you make that character interesting? Is by how Paul Rudd is. is, First of all, you're making Paul Rudd. You sound you surround him with a great cast. But and this is what I think Joe Cornish and Edgar Wright understood, even though it's not necessarily, um, even though I think it was all smoothed out when Peyton Reed came aboard, is that you play with those two forms and you understand the difference between the spectacle when he's really small and the on what it seems like when everything's like when you zoom out of that picture. And that just doesn't, isn't there as much in this. There's some nice, like, visual gags and nice kind of, like, visual cues and stuff like that. But none of it feels, none of it has that playfulness to it. So, yeah, I think Captain Marvel's got a lot of work to do just to start building up to Avengers 4 now. Well, I think that's what, I think that's the aim of it. I think yeah. that's where the, the, that kind of the drum roll starts for Avengers 4 is that you start it with Captain Marvel. So you can have, um, because obviously, based on kind of what happens in like the post credit scenes, you know Captain mm. Marvel is going to be a big yeah. factor within Avengers Four. So I think it's a it's a perfect decision to have an entire film to set this character up, so she can be dropped straight into the film. Everyone, because people who see Avengers Four are going to watch Captain Marvel. Chances yeah, ninety nine percent of them are going to see Captain Marvel. So everyone has a whole film to know who she is, what she's about, and her whole history. To drop her in there, I think is a really really clever idea. So that's where. That, as I say, that drum roll starts as soon as with Captain Marvel to kind of build up to then have this big finish to 20, be 22 films then when Avengers 4, that'll be the 22nd film. Yeah. Yeah. So it'll be 22 films, which, I mean, I have to say, I the whole Marvel Cinematic, Cinematic Universe thing is something I doubt will ever be done again. It's an astonishing feat of organization and ambition. And everything, and obviously it will continue. Yeah, but just the just the nature of it, this whole storyline, I just it blows my mind that they've been able to do this, and that someone said yes, this is a good idea. Let's go all in on this. Mm-hmm. I can't, I can't wait until they do the classic comic book thing and just go. Should we just start again? Yeah, we'll just start again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a great idea. Don't worry. Yeah, scratch everything. We'll just start again. Will that really annoy all of the fans? No, 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 no. So this is the this is the first time we've been together. In when was the last time we all, we all were together? Well, we were meant to get together this, once early in the year, yeah. but the it's big storm. Stormed. What was it? Storm Emma, the beast, beast in the east, and Storm Emma. The combination of the two stopped mm. Peter Willington coming up. That's the only thing that could stop me. And then we reorganised, and then what stopped you, Dan, from coming up, or did you just not come up? 
in my when I didn't come up with yeah, a family or something. Yeah, fair enough. And then when you were up here, mm. this this chump next He's to me, at me listener. Bold, Bolderman, Chris Bolderman uh, smacked his head on the you know porcelain. We still, I still don't know what I smacked my head on, Sam. Uh, I think it's a yeah. We don't know. And then when we were driving back from Scarfell Pike, I thought, brilliant, we've got a chance now. It's like six o'clock in the evening. We'll get back about six o'clock, seven o'clock. Loads of time to settle back, mm. play some games, and then you pipe up. I'll have a nap. I'll have a nap. Yeah, and yeah. at about seven o'clock, which, which is not going to be a nap at this point. <laughs> the death knell for the evening. And, mm. and usually what happens is when, when you guys come up to visit or whenever we visit anywhere, we, we always usually plan something to do together like that we could only do when we are together. So... I've obviously got the Batman role-playing game, which mm-hmm. is still sitting partially in red in a drawer somewhere because yes. I'm yeah. practically afraid of that game. But next time we are together, I think that's what we we should play because yeah, I've definitely. already spent six quid on loads of D10s. So <laughs> I'm invested to the tune of six pounds. Um, and we we obviously play like RPGs, like Ten Candles and Dread and we all played, that um, stuff. Hidden Agenda last time. Hidden Agenda we played last time, the PlayLink game. So um, yeah, so this time... The game that we chose to play was mm-hmm. drumroll, please. I was going to bang on the table. I thought that might be the wrong. You can bang on the table. Oh, that's awful. Yeah. Uh, that's, it, I, that's why I didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> we played um, keep talking, uh, and no one explodes. I yeah. always get the name wrong. Yeah, keep talking, nobody explodes. Keep talking, and nobody explodes. This is from um, Steel Crate Games. It's been out for a while. It was out on um, PC uh, uh, VR, um, I think, is where it kind of got attention. I'd, I'd, I'd seen it a few on. times, and it, it always looked really interesting, especially when you considered it in a VR environment. Yeah, I think in VR it'd be really, really interesting. I think that would ratchet up the tension quite a lot. But it's just been released and ported over to uh, PS4. Xbox One and importantly the Nintendo Switch, mm-hmm. which is where I buy all my games now. It's mm. um, <laughs> an interesting little musical interlude. <laughs> <laughs> so it's but it was on the Switch, and I think one of the reasons why the Switch is a really good console for it is the fact it's its portability. Because yeah. I think when we were all playing games together, if we were playing it here, for example, so I've got my PS4 and my screen here. Like, if we were playing it here, I'd be sitting on my comfy sofa looking at the bomb as you try and diffuse it on the uncomfortable dining room furniture sure. in the cold dining room. And it's kind of like, that adds a little bit to the setting. But having the Switch, we were all just able to sit in the same room. Someone's got the bomb in front of them. They're able to hold it right up to their face and control it. And you guys have all got the manuals. And I really enjoyed this game. Um, I just was so... so- the game is you obviously you got the bomb on the on the switch screen, yes, so and then everyone else has a a kind of a printout of the manual. So well, yeah, you, you, you can print it out, or you can read it on a tablet yeah. or a phone. Uh, we printed it out because I kind of wanted to go for that um, flicking through pages, flicking through pages, that sort of genuine like panic of trying to figure out what page you've got to be on to solve each module. How it works is that you have. Uh, a series of, of of missions, and with each mission, you have a combination of the time you've got to defuse the bomb, how many modules are going to be on the bomb, and if you think of modules as uh, basically a puzzle, you've got yeah. to solve to defuse that part of the bomb, defuse all the modules, and you defuse the bomb, mm. and then you've got uh, a number of strikes. Um, so three strikes get three things wrong when you're trying to solve the puzzles. And then the bomb will just explode. And so, obviously, as you can probably tell, the crux of the game is someone's got the bomb in front of them. The other people don't know what's on the bomb. So that person who's got the bomb has to describe everything they're seeing whilst the people look at the rules and how the puzzles work in order to help defuse it. Insert hilarity, miscommunication, and all those wonderful things you get from board games Mm. of the like. I think one thing I quite liked about it and it reminded me a bit of um, the last time I played a game like this was probably Space Team. Yes. Yeah, yeah we played yeah, Space Team A simultaneous before, yeah. play um, is that each of these modules has a different puzzle that can 
you quickly find out in the room who has strengths and weaknesses in certain areas. Yeah. So my weakness <laughs> was something that was invented by Samuel Morse. He was. Morse code, which for some reason I know <laughs> I, I, I could not get my head around how you Oh my gosh. Well, when I was a kid, like reading those puzzle books where you'd have like Morse code puzzles, it was pen and paper for me. But now because we're playing it in this dynamic, yeah. I'm having to read out to you as I've got the bomb in my hands, flashes of light and the that just completely threw me. I just couldn't do it. I, I really struggled, it, and I, I wouldn't commit. So it was dot, dash, dot, dot, dot. dot. two dots. Yeah, no, there was no, no, two no, dots. No, no, that was a dot. Sorry, I, I blinked. Then that was actually a dash, not two <laughs> dots. You also started to trail off, so you'd be going, yeah. like, "Okay, oh. dot, dot, dash, dot." And then sounds like, "What's for?" Say it louder. So I realised, but my my jam was the spatial stuff. So the mazes. Oh yeah, I love the mazes where you've got to guide the the other player through a maze. Mm-hmm. That they cannot see the sides of it, and if they hit the sides, that's it, game yeah. over. Um, because they're uncertain, as you say, you have strikes, and it's, we had a five-minute um, duration to start off with, yeah, yeah. and then when I got handed the switch, suddenly went down to three minutes. <laughs> yeah, but you also had less things to less puzzles to solve. Ah, it's all right. Yeah. So <laughs> that that is that is one thing because like you'd start off, and the first thing if you're if you're trying to diffuse it, as in you've got the manual in front of you. You're just hearing, like, the first thing the person who has a bomb does is they read out the modules. And as you get more familiar with it as a team, it's very easy. Like, yeah, I've got a maze one, I've got a symbols one, and mm. I've got, like, the Simon Says one. And the rush to try and get the one that you know you know how to solve. It's <laughs> oh, just yeah. like, lettuce, please! No, oh, I want the wires! I want the wires! Okay, Sam, you give me the symbols, and then we'll carry on with the <laughs> yeah. maze here. Yeah, yeah, symbols yeah. was your jam, Pete. Yeah, and, and I think... <laughs> As, as <laughs> every time, every time Pete got one, they're like the first thing you'd do, like say if it was Chris, Chris would tell tell Pete, okay, okay, the symbols are this, 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 and this. There's four okay? symbols down. And then what we would do is kind of the person who was kind of describing it would give out all the information, mm-hmm. and then maybe go to the person who's going to take the longest or something like that. Yeah. So you give all that information so everyone can be reading up and figuring out how to do it all. Um, so after about two minutes of kind of Pete. Looking, looking at all the symbols, looking yep. at what he's trying getting to prepared. do. Yeah, getting prepared. Mm-hmm. So when Chris comes back to him, he can go bang, 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 solve the puzzle this really easily. It, yeah. Okay. So um, Chris goes back to Pete. Pete, what do I need to do? Pete's response. Sorry, could you uh, tell me the pictures again? Mm-hmm. The symbols, so yeah. basically, what that means is for two minutes in silence, yeah. Pete's been just sat staring sat at a bit of paper, just not knowing be, what he's looking at. I just want to be right. sure. That's all. Just don't want the bomb to go off. Um, I'll be safe and sorry. And, th- and then reads out all of the symbols as opposed to just the ones that he needs <laughs> yeah. to do. Yeah, it's great. I, I I think because because you're encouraged not to look through the manual before you play, uh, that's one of the wonderful things that that the game does, like as you get more confident with it. I think it's like we got through we got quite quite through a lot of them actually. We were playing for maybe like over an hour or something like that. And I think the game is actually wonderfully paced in how it introduces you to things. Like you, the moment you start getting confident, you know, when you like, like, I'll take wires, like, I'll take pictures. Suddenly it's like wires that have got stripes on them or it's another puzzle. And like that drip feeding of information, like we did not get through half of what's in that, in that manual. There's, there's stuff yeah. like, there's like nanny modules, needy modules, needy modules where, um, you, if you're diffusing the bomb, as in you've got the bomb in front of you, there'll be stuff that you have to do, like vent gas or like press a switch that just will just do enough to like interrupt like what's happening yeah, with yeah. a puzzle. Yeah, so that gives you a job that you have to do that you're focusing on something else. Yeah, that it's not you don't click it once and it's sorted regularly. You're going to have to make sure that this doesn't reach a certain thing. So it just splits your attention as well as kind of what other people are trying to do. Yeah, it's brilliant. Which I, which I think is like what that like that seems like the natural sort of state of that game so it's going to be really interesting playing this with with other people and like starting at the early stages i think the one thing that this game does well is that all the bombers are procedurally generated so even though each um stage that you play has the same rule set that governs it and governs essentially the bomb's creation each module within that will be slightly different even if it's like the same module, like it's a wires module, the wires on it will be different. Um, so it meant that when like Chris was holding it, because you never diffused a bomb, did you, Chris? I didn't. <laughs> no. So, but but every time you pressed retry, it wasn't like 
right, we know how to solve that one, and we know how to solve that one, which gives us more time to do the one yeah. that we didn't have to do. It was always different every single time, which is which is crucial. And there's even a free play mode in the game. So after you've done like the tutorial missions, a free play mode opens up where you can set how long you've got, how many modules you've got to do it, and then you just press go, and then it creates creates a bomb at random. Is there for you, do you think there's an optimal player limit with this? What do you mean, you... as in like time or people? People, numbers of people. I think four, four. The, the recommended is four is maximum. You go too much further than that, and especially in the earlier levels, you just have people not doing anything. Yeah, because kind of there, there was times when we got used to it where there are certain puzzles where you can just be given it and then you're just waiting for your turn to just give, give whoever's diffusing the bomb in yeah. front of them the answer. And also... The more people you introduce into it, the easier it is as well. Because either you can spread the modules between yourselves more broadly. Because if you've got like five modules and you're playing with another, and you're playing with like six people, then that means that everyone can take on a module each, and it's really easy. You just bam, bam, bam. You just go through one to six. What about minimal player limit? Could you? I'm curious to know how this would work. Say with two players, so for example, one person holding the bomb, one person having to go through all those shit you played. You could do it, but there's no uh, the the game doesn't scale to how many players you have either. No, because it would make sense to me if you're playing with two people, then you'd have a bit more time. Yeah, but then arguably, if like me and you, Chris, or we played it together just as two of us, I think we'd be able to do those earlier missions quite easily. Like even if there were five modules and three minutes, because we're very familiar with the puzzles and all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of that thing that. I think it's kind of uh, has a bit of that vibe that Overcooked has. Like when you're used to mechanics and when you're used to how the game operates as a co-op experience, even when you're less of the numbers involved because you're so used to that that core experience, like with Pandemic or something yeah. like that. Like when you know how to crack that puzzle, yeah, it's more difficult with less people. But that's another challenge within the game to have. Yeah, like so. Next time that we're together, it could be well. Let's let's give it a try. Like we've got the manuals. Let's let's see how let's see how far we can get because we know how to do quite a lot of the puzzles. So let's see how what what the stretches of this game actually are actually are. Pete, you've been unusually quiet or usually mm. quiet on this. Mm. Um, I got the sense, and was it because you were me. tired? I was tired. I'm tired. Yeah, I was tired. Yeah. It's tired, boy. It's only about nine o'clock. Oh, tuck it out. Um, no, I, I did really enjoy it. I thought it was, um, I thought it was a well-made game, and as in, it it absolutely executes upon what it sets out to do, and it does that really well. Um, it it's also a game that naturally, through those mechanics, causes stress, and it's stress is not something I'd go to games for very often, and that combined with the fact that. I was all tuckered mm. out. I can, I can, I can definitely understand that. But for me, I enjoy isolation. Yeah, I like that moment of it's like the mind. Mm. Like I like those moments of yeah, it's stressful, but I immediately forget that when you like hit the perfect amount of time mindful? or get something like well, you saw or Sam yesterday. bomb with like ten seconds left. You saw Sam yesterday when you know when we were trying to make that walk across the scree slope. Yeah, like, no, we're lost. We're lost. We're lost. We're just going to get back. We're lost. Yeah. And as soon as we got onto the path. Vroom. Morale went up. That's true. Galatia. I actually found the mind quite peaceful. I didn't find it stressful at all. That's because you kept getting 100. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> so you, just, <laughs> I you got it like four player. times. Yeah, Sat there, just player. pulled out your phone, thought, okay. Yeah. But like, what, what, one more thing, just to finish on, on Keep Talking or Everyone Explodes. Am I getting that right? Is, like um, I think, especially on the Switch, I think it's a really wonderfully portable game oh yeah. it's something yeah, like yeah. i could take that to work with me or i can take it um or i could just take it away with me for the weekend and it, and because you can just get the manuals on your phone as yeah. long as everyone's got one on the phone you can download it. it's a pdf before you go like so it's just a wonderful way to kill like 10 15 minutes if you're at a train station or yeah or actually don't do it at a train yeah, station. Say, yeah. Yeah. it's a good party game though isn't <laughs> yeah. it it's yeah, definitely it, a social and, game and on the switch that portability just like really as a product I think it just yeah. it just takes it that one second. Has it been released on the Vita? No, I know, no. I know, I know. Not many games are released on the Vita no, anymore. Yeah, but yeah. Oh, okay, just was a was a handheld. It might have worked. Well, it, it would have worked, but it it would actually absolutely have worked. And it's probably powerful enough to run it. The problem oh, yeah, with the Vita yeah. is that like no one buys Vita games. 
Right, right, okay. So we have another question. Another energy, energy, piece. energy, energy. Another one. Hold on. So how do, how do people, if they've got a question that yeah. they want answered mm. expertly? Previous questions have featured what we would jump into. Uh, what's better, Britney's, Britney's dance beat dance or beat. Barbie's horse adventure? So who would I eat first on an island? Yeah, who yeah. who'd Chris would so eat a real, first? Real wide selection. Strong yeah, so selection we questions. we will literally take anything. <laughs> uh, people can email us stayinginpod at gmail Sam. Uh, they can also. I can't believe that you guys know this. All right, I'll write that down. At Staying in Pod, you yeah. should know all of or this. Stuff. Or you can go to Facebook as yeah. well. All right, DM us basically. So why do you, how do you not know this? Are our DMs open? Yeah, of course they are. Really? Yeah. So question. This is from question. at Alex Gold ninety five on Thank Twitter. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Hi. When will first person CRPGs get more popular, and what might they need to get there? Examples include Legend of Grimrock, Might and Magic, the RPG series, and Bard's Tale 4. Um, so, great. So, so, see you later. It's been a great show. Oh. Fantastic. <laughs> well, here's the thing. So this has we, been staying. We went to go and find this is out. where Pete gets really excited <laughs> yeah, yeah. suddenly. We went to go and find out because basically CRPG, so we're not the biggest RPG fans, I would say. Might, Might and Magic is the only one I'm familiar with, and that's because I played the um, tactics game. That they released set in the Might and Magic universe. Heroes of Might and Magic. Heroes of Might and Magic. Yeah, yeah. it's very good. Um, so CRPG, so CRPGs are, it stands for computer role playing games, but there's a very specific kind of RPG. They tend to be Western RPGs. They tend to be things like, um, they, they tend to have a focus on story development and moving around a space with no limitations, as in there is an overworld and you can go to different places at different times and there is guidance, but there is not necessarily, um, there is not necessarily, uh, like, it's not like Fable where there's like a golden breadcrumb going, go here, go here, go here. You actually have to think about where you're going and that kind of thing. Um, different people, ha- and yeah, different people. So, have so basically it's a lot, if you think of, um, how I sort of imagine it, you describing it. If you imagine something like Skyrim as a commercial CRPG, like so, like yeah. something like Skyrim is a CRPG but made for like the mass market. And then if you go, and if you want to make that more niche, that's like a CRPG yeah. where you take away all the all the handholds so, and the. So this person is yeah specifically talking about first person CRPGs because CRPGs generally are thought of as like Pillars of Eternity and Baldur's Gate and. Uh, I don't know, Icewind Dale and stuff like that, but first-person ones are more like yeah, like um, as he points out, like Skyrim, Legend of Grimrock, uh, those kinds of things. Um, well, so off the bat, yeah, Cyberpunk twenty seventy-seven is going to be first-person. Yeah, I would argue that I think that the, maybe not the kind of the first-person stuff, mm. um, but I think there is definitely a movement towards that area in general. The amount of games now that are increasingly including elements of the RPG yeah, genre yeah. that are then growing and growing and growing. So most Assassin's big, Creed, most big example. games now will have elements of questing going in there and then how yeah. people can then feed back into you. Oh. I think CRPGs generally hint towards a because i've been trying to find a proper definition of it and i think crpgs generally just trend towards harder core kind of experiences yeah crpgs not just basically determining it not being a, a board a tabletop rpg it's no. a computer rpg no that that will have been what it used to be but it is not necessarily that anymore so our like crpgs did originally take the place of role-playing games because people like um uh, Richard Garriott wanted to uh, basically make Dungeons and Dragons, but as a digital experience, um, and he he never quite actually managed to do that because obviously that's incredibly difficult. Um, but they do tend to trend towards more hardcore um, kinds of experiences, like your divinities and that kind of thing. I don't know. I think I don't actually know whether or not we're going to see, especially in the first person realm, the amount of content creation you have to have to to do just in terms of writing and character development and world building and uh, the amount of visual and graphical assets that you need to create for something that is 60 70 80 hours long when you're looking at really high-end games like the witcher 3 and the elder scrolls series those are fewer and far between because it's a lot of money it's It's a a lot lot of of money and and the elder scrolls series really only took off with oblivion like 
in terms of yeah, yeah. mass popularity, and that's because it hit consoles. And so that series is is quote unquote dumbing down, you know, becoming more broad. RPGs are generally becoming more broad because the risk of making them is is exceptionally high. So you need a large audience for them. Yeah, you've got to have almost some an element of a guarantee of a return on it. Yeah. Whereas indie as a space or very big indie, so like fifty to one hundred person teams, they can probably take a bigger risk on that stuff. You're not going to end up with something that is going to be mass market. So Divinity is probably the closest thing because it's got a physical PS4 release and. I think you're going to see the indie space cater to that audience because that audience does exist and is big and will play those games. But I don't think that you'll see them be- become like the main kind of game. Like I think we're, we are in the third, we're firmly in the third person action adventure as the mass market single player experience. And it's kind of like if you go to a big AAA developer and go, right, we want to make a game that's got a really long tail uh, a massive like involved experience yeah. uh, engaging the player for hours and hours and hours on end they're going to go right how but how do we make money out of that how do we add like we, we can we can just turn you know some x into a live service and yeah. make more money I out mean, of i mean that like, as a prospect the witcher 3 team actually had to come out and say yes we want to make single player games and we think there is a market that is probably the biggest in terms of like the triple a studios that is probably the 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 studio that will that will do these kinds of games and even they had to come and it was a big headline on um you know games industry and and these big you know B two B websites for the video games industry it was like oh these guys are specifically saying that they don't need loot crates or multiplayer or an arena yeah. battle mode like it is and that is very much flying in the face of it but it means that studios like that doom then go and mop up the money so when these big tentpole releases like um, like a Skyrim come along, everybody who loves that genre buys them because they're like, well, this is the big experience yeah. that we're going to have. Um, well, well the, I think the, the, the big thing that's going to change, that, that might change everything is God of War and the success that that had. Like they, it's, I think it's something like 130 million they made just on digital sales alone. It's all bad. Um, which I think beats the Witch's record and considering that was released on multiple platforms yeah. like God of War has been absolutely massive and has proven that there is a market people want solo experiences people want right a narrative experience yep definitely so yeah. maybe being starved of them for for so long and that experience like when you finally get one that you want you want it to be that deep involving rpg in a world that you in feel a world. like you can swim around in for 150 hours yeah rather than just like a light and fluffy like uncharted or yeah 18 yes. 20 hour uncharted campaign i think if if cyberpunk 2077 does as well as the witcher 3 i think you might start to see a pushback more into that big involved rpg like experience i think you might start to see that but the games industry always has a tale of about a couple of years basically all right so like it sees trends and then it takes a couple of years for those trends to really properly work well yeah because people go right god of war is success was a success so start working on that now yeah and by the time you finish that game something else will be the yeah and so yeah because the industry just keeps chasing itself um so maybe maybe that'll be it. But I I I know I go on about it a lot. But the the switch I think is is what might drive. And if Nintendo don't completely screw up the eShop and support, <laughs> that's, that's, there's no guarantee on that. Well, they've already said they want thirty to forty indie games released per week on the eShop. Oh, what a good idea! Like, like if they don't completely screw that up and they go and they support Nindies. As they call them, like the, um, <laughs> that sounds like they're already screwing it up. Yeah, like this. I reckon that could be the one. That could be the perfect space for a game that suits those needs that people can just get lost in. Something that's a bit indie and a bit yeah, like and, and, lower and, end. And coming from a company that is not really obsessed with making dollar over fist, and yeah. like they've got their main, they've got their main staples that make all the money. That's it. So. Mm. They, I think they've got a bit more time and license to invest in something that could that could fit that bill. Well, there you go. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Alex. Thanks. Well, that's like, a, like an industry, uh, like oh. intellectual conversation. We've oh, had yeah, it was. Yeah. So, so to finish off, Chris, because you didn't say a single word in that discussion, we'll ask you a question. 
and it will be uh, if you were to eat dessert for if right okay. So what if you're about to have a lovely meal? Yeah, lovely meal. Yeah, sea bass, roasted sea bass. Yeah, roasted vegetables. Yeah, but you've got to eat dessert before it. Yeah, before it. Before it, you've got to eat dessert. Oh, what gosh. dessert? What dessert do you pick? And you can't pick sorbet. And it has to be substantial. Yeah, it has to yeah. be a substantial dessert. I would go for a lemon meringue pie because the citrus notes really work well with fish. <laughs> Bloody hell! <laughs> He's like a sommelier for uh, <laughs> for food. Well, that was that was a worthless question uh, that I thought. Sorry, I was hoping to come up with something a bit more wittier and fun, but but you went with the sensible. I just asked Chris correct about food. answer. Yeah, let's ask Chris about food, which seems to fill a hole. That was Staying In with myself, Sam Turner, Daniel Frost, Chris Darby and Peter Winnington. Just a couple of housekeeping messages before I go. Uh, We currently have a fantasy football league going at the moment and there are prizes on offer for whomever comes first. If you want to join and want to get more details, then head over to our Twitter feed at Pod. And there's more information there or message myself at Mr. Sam Turner and I can point you in the right direction to get started. Uh, In order to be eligible to win the prize at the end of the football season, you have to enter the league by the 15th of September at 11.30am. So that's your cutoff point for that. Also, don't forget, there are a myriad of ways that you can get your questions into us for the podcast. Um stayinginpod at gmail.com and the aforementioned Twitter feed are the best places to send your questions to. Uh, So please get them there as soon as you can, ready for the next recording. If you like the show, then make sure you subscribe so you get the latest episode as soon as it's released. And if you like what we make and you listen to us on something like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher or CastBox then we'd really appreciate it if you left us a review, a comment, or made us one of your favourites. Information on all the things we've talked about on this episode is at stayingin.podbean.com, as well as all the details of how you can get in touch with us if you've got a question for us to answer. And of course, on that website, there's also links to our Steam curator pages and board game geek stuff, as well as our Twitter and Facebook details. But for now, thanks very much for listening.